You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Use promo code GATORS to double your first deposit. Only at mybookie.ag. This episode is also brought to you by Shark Coatings. Visit sharkfloorcoatings.com when you need professional floor coating services done right the first time. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Water. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you day after Florida falls short to Tennessee, 38-33 in Knoxville. Florida goes on the road for the first time. Comes up short as Tennessee gets their first win and seems like forever. That's... <laughs> Oh, man, since 2016, Florida fought back, brought those demons, and those ghosts out at the end. You thought, you know, there was just some Florida-Tennessee magic left. Made Tennessee sweat at the end when it looked like they were running away with it in the fourth quarter. Plenty to get into. Both sides of the ball, some coaching decisions as well. So plenty, plenty to get into. Hopefully, if you're watching live on YouTube now, you guys can hear me. There were some technical issues uh, earlier. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, I guess those ghosts uh, moved to my computer uh, before we we were going live here. So, but yeah, glad we're back. It seems there everybody looks in the the comment section. Looks like we're good there. So hit that like button for actually, you know, now being live. But here we go. And, uh, but look, I know we didn't like the result either, um, but like the content, you know, that, that really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. I know we wish the result was better, um, but that's that's not what that like button's for on YouTube. It's to like the content that I'm bringing you up right here on Gators Breakdown. Guys, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. So that really helps us out too. The likes describes YouTube, puts it all together, lets people, other Gator fans interested if they're on YouTube. They might see these videos. So there we go. You know, it really helps us. Uh, Gators Breakdown Plus, man, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, this was the first game I didn't go to because of the three straight home games. Uh, so the conversation there was really, really good uh, throughout the game. A lot of uh, a lot of back and forth, 
a lot of passion going there. You get those extra episodes during the week as well. So a lot going on there at Gators Breakdown Plus. But yeah, it's um, this, it, it hurts. You know, Florida's at two and two right now, uh, and schedule will ease up. When you, when you look at it, I mean, the first month of the season we knew was going to be tough for Florida. might even be more tough than we originally thought. Uh, Kentucky is better than what I thought. I think some of you probably out there um, were a little high on Kentucky. I was not, but they are better. Uh, you know, not some excellent team, not an elite team, but okay. You know, yeah, yeah, that's your first loss uh, of the season. Tennessee, better uh, than, what, than what I thought as well. Uh, and, and, you know, I came into the season, I'm going to have to see Tennessee beat Florida before I believe it. But then as the season played out, I didn't like the last couple of weeks from Florida, so I did end up picking Tennessee uh, to beat Florida coming into the game. But look, all the storylines that we thought would play out in this game or the trends that were coming into this game, hey, look, for Tennessee side, it, it, it pretty much played out that way. We knew this offense was going to be hard to stop. Not that hard to stop. Uh, not as it, you know, we'll get into that. Uh, but um, for Florida, all the storylines where Florida was going to have to run the ball to win the game, and, you know, we couldn't count on the quarterback. Well, we, we could count on the quarterback, couldn't we? We really could. Uh, Anthony Richardson goes out there and has a day. Puts Florida on his back. Uh, defense couldn't stop anything. And, you know, the conversation going on all week, in the conversation yesterday, uh, we had a really good conversation going back and forth on you know, just ways Florida w- w- would win this game. And I just straight up said, I was like, you know, the run game is going to have to carry this team. And no, it was Anthony Richardson who carried this team, carried this offense on his back. We'll get into it because the, the, the stats will show that. But you know, value effort, there's no moral victories here. Uh, you're two and two. Um, the schedule does ease up. It was a very tough, m- tough month for Florida. Um, and whether, I, I don't know what you saw, uh, Florida out there, you know, two and two was very likely one and three was likely in some people's minds. Three and one was likely if you had four and oh, I mean, credit to you for, for having that hope there, but not many people saw that, but especially after Utah game now, four and oh kind of did come into play three and one maybe came into play for you. Two and two was still very much on the table. Uh, and of course, you didn't get the the, the one and three uh, there after the Utah, of course. So you, the USF game, of course, was closer, but you were winning that game in a lot of people's eyes. So, you know, four games in, the toughest stretch in college football to start the season. Does that excuse some of the performance? Does that excuse what we have seen out there? Not completely, no. But no team has played a harder schedule than the Gators so far. And we wish we were further along, but look, this is, there's a reason Billy Napier is the head coach right now. There was absolute failure. So him having this transition and this tough of a schedule, you can see why two and two happened. And you can see why the second loss was to the Tennessee Volunteers when we get into breaking down the game just a bit here. We'll look at a little more big picture stuff toward the end of the episode. But let's take a look at this game. Let's take a look at some of the Key stats. Stat compare here. Florida actually outgained Tennessee. You know, the fourth quarter, the late fourth quarter comes into play there. 594 yards to 576 out past Tennessee. And we're talking about storylines that were coming into this game. And this was probably one we did not see happening. One that maybe needed to happen. We expected a better performance from Anthony Richardson if Florida was going to be in this game. But in combination 
with the run game from the running backs. Now, Anthony Richardson did some good things with his legs, and that was another storyline coming in. We'll get into that just a bit, too. But Florida and Anthony Richardson, and I'm not going to sit here and say played better than Hendon Hooker. He didn't. You know, I, I, I put him on level, a level playing field. But passing yards, he outpassed Hendon Hooker. And like I said, a game situation played a, a large role in that. Florida get the ball back late in the fourth quarter, an onside kick, getting an extra possession. You know, all those things play into it. 453 passing yards to 349. Gators with the edge there. Other side, and one that may be surprised, but shouldn't. Uh, we were scared to death of this run defense for the Gators, and Tennessee puts up 227 yards on the ground. You know, in this, in, in this series, as good as both quarterbacks played here, in this series, too many times does it go to the team who rushes the ball the most wins. And it holds true here. 227 yards for Tennessee, 141 for the Gators. Way below what we kind of thought there. Once again, you know, a high number of penalties for Florida, but only 47 yards. You know, that's the, kind of been the story. There have been some penalties, but, you know, the ones on kickoff, uh, I just don't get. Uh, Florida's got to figure something out there. Um, but 10, 10 penalties, only 47 yards. I mean, Tennessee had six penalties for 50 yards. So they have four less penalties, three, yard, three yards worth more. Florida with 31 first downs to Tennessee, 27 Third down, 7 of 15 for the Gators, 6 of 9 for Tennessee. Uh, no matter the defensive coordinator right now, this Florida defense struggling on third downs. Fourth downs, we'll get into it a bit later with the aggressiveness there, but 5 of 6 for the Gators, keeping them in it, some aggressive, aggressive mindset there from Billy Napier. 87 plays for the Gators, 70 for Tennessee. But there's you know big difference there, 8.2 yards per play for Tennessee, 6.8 for the Gators. Average yards per completion, though, 18.9 for the Gators, 15.9 for Tennessee. Three more average yards there for the Gators. Average yards per rush, big, big. I mean, two, two yards there is big. 5.4 for Tennessee, 3.4 for Florida. Red zone, big difference in the game, too. Tennessee has been great in the red zone under Josh Heupel. Mentioned that last week in the preview. Six of six for Tennessee here, four of six for the Gators. And, you know, that's where the lack of running for Florida really hurt. You know, Florida's been able to run the ball well in the red zone this year and was not able to early, you know, especially early in the game when Florida went for a fourth down and didn't get it. They ended up kicking a field goal. Florida just couldn't get the run game going in the red zone. Time of possession was going to be, like, Tennessee's, the way, as fast as they play, they're not going to win a lot of time of possession, but, you know, what would be the gap here to keep Florida in it? Because Florida would need to keep their offense on the sideline. 34, almost 35 minutes of time of possession for the Gators. That needed to be about that number. And Florida was doing a good job, even though they couldn't run the ball. Staying on the field, Anthony Richardson completing passes, making plays with his legs, and the game flow was going about the way it needed to until about you know the end of the first half. Turnovers, of course, two for the Gators, two for Tennessee. Tennessee lost two fumbles. Florida lost one. But the turnover, you know, the last play of the game, that was just the, the you know desperation throw. 
off of Anthony Richardson on the last play. So, you know, that interception, more on the pressure than Anthony Richardson. The fumble, yeah, that, 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 that did hurt. That did hurt, of course. Uh, Gators get three sacks. Tennessee only gets one sack. Tackles for loss. Florida with five. Tennessee with four. There's your stat comparison there for the Gators and Tennessee. Now let's go even more in-depth to the Florida side of stats. And a good day right here for the offense. Anthony Richardson. 24-44, 453 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. As I mentioned, the interception. Take that as you will. More on the not getting time in desperation. 453 yards passing. Two passing touchdowns. Gets his first passing touchdown of the season. Tacks on another one in this game. Of course, the man was on a mission. I know you see the 20 incompletions there. There were some throwaways uh, at the same time. Would you like to see it higher? Of course. But you get it. Florida receiving big day for the receivers. Of course, their best game overall. When your quarterback passes for 453 yards, it's a big day for your wide receivers. Justin Shorter, seven catches, 155 yards. Ricky Pearsall, five catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown late in the game. Xavier Henderson, some nice catching runs by him, four catches, 68 yards. Keon Zipperer with another good day from the tight end position, getting that first touchdown. Tennessee players going for the strip. He avoids them going after the ball breaking tackles scores that first touchdown three catches 62 yards for Keon Zipper that 44 yard touchdown Took Little Moore with a couple good catches two catches 31 yards Dante Zander gets involved too um, and Bowman late in the game with a 16 yard catch as well And then rushing, here one of the big storylines of the game where we knew Florida, or not, I guess we, we knew Florida would have to do it in some form or fashion. Luckily, Anthony Richardson was the one, you know, we knew he was going to have to be a big part of the ground attack, big part of the ground game, and he was. 17 attempts, 62 yards, two touchdowns running as well. But then behind him, We'll get into it, too. Just stats right now. We'll get into it a bit. Trevor Etienne, nine attempts, 35 yards, 3.9-yard average. Naquan Wright, eight carries, 26 yards. Montreal Johnson, eight carries, 18 yards. Not a lot of explosive runs there for the Gator rushing attack. And then we'll go to the other side, look at Tennessee. And if you're watching on YouTube, you have the, the graphics to go along with. Might want to cover your eyes. If um, you're listening to it, might want to put it on mute here because these stats for Tennessee, I mean, absolutely ugly for this Florida defense. Of course, we'll get into that as well. But just the stat look here quickly, Hendon Hooker, 22 of 28, 349 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions there. There's well over 200 passes now. Throwing no interceptions. I'll let you guys know he does not turn the ball over a lot. Didn't even really throw many dangerous passes to get picked off either. Tennessee receiving five players with five receptions. Brew McCoy, transfer from USC. 
the biggest benefactor there of, uh, you know, so uh, a mental lapse by trading five catches, 102 yards, one touchdown for Brew McCoy. Jalen Hyatt, five catches, 58 yards. Preston Fant, the tight end, five catches, 43 yards. There's your big, big reception leaders there for Tennessee. And in rushing, we knew, you know, we're told to, to, to watch out for Hendon Hooker as well. And Florida versus USF showed that the quarterback run game could be a weapon used against this Florida defense. And it was, once again, Hendon Hooker on design runs, Hendon Hooker breaking tackles, missing sacks in the backfield. He goes for 13 attempts, 112 yards, had a 44-yard yard long run as well and a touchdown Jabari Small 19 attempts 90 yards 4.7 yards from the running back position there we knew that was going to be an issue too this Gator defense just cannot stop the run Jalen Wright 10 attempts 25 yards 2.5 yard average of course but 227 yards on the ground for Tennessee and as far as defense just not doing many things right and these stats just emphasize it so much. Struggling on that side of the ball. But all right, let's get into it a bit here. Storylines through the game. Let's go. Let's start with the quarterback position, of course. Anthony Richardson through the year on the ground. Finished with 515 total yards of offense, which ranks third all-time in a single game in Florida program history. Go back to last year, Emory Jones versus Samford. Okay, competition not the best. Yeah, you know, that, whatever on that one. Tim Tebow versus Cincinnati in 2009. This is only behind those two performances. Richardson's 453 yards passing ranks ninth in a single game in program history. You know, all through the fun and gun, Werfel, Matthews, Dean, Grossman. Going, moving forward, of course, Tebow. This is ninth in history, 453 yards passing for Anthony Richardson. With two rushing touchdowns, and you have Kyle Trask a few years ago as well. Um, two rushing touchdowns against Tennessee. Richardson now leads all FBS quarterbacks with five rushing touchdowns this season. He set a new career high in a single game passing yards, topping his previous best, which was only 168 versus Utah in week one. Blew that out of the water. 168 was the previous high for Anthony Richardson in week one. Now move that up to 453 yards versus Tennessee. Of course, with that, Richardson eclipsed 200, 300, 400 yard passing thresholds for the first time in his career. First quarterback to throw for 300 yards in a game since Emory Jones versus Samford. You know, as I said, count that however you want to, but he is the first quarterback to throw for 300-plus yards in an SEC game since Kyle Trask versus LSU on that frightful night, December 12th, 2020. Richardson also set career high in completions with 24. His previous high was 17 versus Utah Week 1. Became the first Florida quarterback to pass for 450-plus yards and two-plus passing touchdowns while rushing for 50-plus yards and two-plus rushing touchdowns in a single game. One more time. Became the first Florida quarterback to pass for 450-plus yards, two-plus passing touchdowns, 
while rushing for 50-plus yards and two-plus rushing touchdowns in a single game. He is the first FBS QB to accomplish that feat since September 21, 2019, when UCLA's Dorian Thompson-Robinson did so against Washington State. Richardson is one of seven FBS quarterbacks to accomplish this feat in the last 25 years. Caleb Evans, Devin Gardner, Garrett Gilbert, Patrick Mahomes twice, Baker Mayfield, and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, of course. Richardson is the first Florida quarterback since Tim Tebow, all the way back in 2007 versus South Carolina, with 300-plus rushing or 300-plus passing yards, one-plus passing touchdown, 50-plus rushing yards, and two-plus rushing touchdowns. Richardson and Tebow's performance represent the only times Florida quarterback has accomplished that feat in the last 25 seasons. Richardson is the first SEC quarterback to accomplish that feat since K.J. Jefferson, Arkansas, and Matt Corral both did it October 9th last year. You have some stats there that let you know how good that performance was from Anthony Richardson through the air and on the ground. We knew that was going to be needed. We knew in the last couple of weeks we haven't seen him on the ground as much. And, of course, you hear the injury whispers, and CBS comes out with a, a story on a hamstring injury for Anthony Richardson. And Anthony Richardson, after the game, says he did not tell CBS anything about a hamstring injury. So take that as, as far as you want. And are there some bumps and bruises, of course, that we hear last week about uh, of Billy Napier and Anthony Richardson saying, you know, the depth behind him is probably limited. I mean, granted, I think Billy Napier thought he could get the performance in the Kentucky game that we saw yesterday versus Tennessee. You know, I thought I, I think Billy Napier really trusted Anthony Richardson to go out there and do that. You no, know, of course, it didn't turn out that way. Okay, then USF comes along, still not running, and didn't probably, probably think you didn't need to run versus that team, and we see how bad USF is right now. So, yeah, that game was a little bit closer uh, than expected. Third game after a big Utah UK, and Kentucky games. So maybe sleep and walk, sleep, sleep walking through that game a bit too, but at the same time, we know Anthony Richardson wasn't being used on the ground. This was going to have to be the game he was going to be, and luckily and... Thankfully, he was. On the ground, through the air, and you could tell, of course, we're going to sit here and say that made a difference. That got him into the game, that carried him, it made him more comfortable, and there's probably a lot to be said about that. There's probably a lot of truth to that. But he was, he was really feeling it, making some good throws. Still, like I said, near 20 incompletions, and many, many of those were throwaways. Uh, he wasn't you know, forcing the ball into bad windows. And let's not forget, he was pressured 13 times according to the official stats of the game. And now, of course, some rewatches will maybe put more, put a little bit less on that. But in the official stats after the game, pressured 13 times, sacked once. And this is where we're saying, you know, sack numbers can be inflated and overvalued. I mean, he wasn't sacked, but Tennessee was in the backfield a lot. A lot of times he couldn't go through his progressions. Now, he missed a few but a much better performance from the quarterback and, 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 and one that was absolutely needed because the run game was not there. And we'll get in that in just a second, but let's keep, let, let's keep with this passing game because, you know, it's been criticized and rightfully so, so much the last couple of weeks. But there were 13 passes that gained 15 plus yards or more. 
you know, for 15 plus yards. 13 passes of 15 yards or more. And the official stats here, 13 big passing plays that gained 339 yards. A gain of 22, a gain of 18, a gain of 22. The 44-yard touchdown, catch and run, the key on zipper. 17-yard pass, 38, 16, 39, 16, 39, 28, 16, 24. And what were we saying? And I asked Billy Napier, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago in the SEC teleconference, where is the downfield passing? And, you know, why was there so much struggle with it? Well, you know, the quarterback was struggling. And he wasn't struggling this game. He was feeling it and hit some nice passes down the field. Absolutely needed. Ricky Pearsall had 100-plus receiving yards for the second time in his career in first game as a Gator. He went for 153 yards against UCLA last year. I mean, five passes, 103 yards one more time for Pearsall, setting a new career high, a Gator career high for him. Justin Shorter, it was a career high for him, 155 receiving yards on seven receptions. His previous high was 113 yards last year versus LSU. Pearsall and Shorter became the Florida's first 100-yard receivers in a game this season, and it's the first game with 200-yard receivers since 2020 versus Alabama in the SEC championship game. Keon Zipper also set career high in rushing yard and in receiving yards with 62. Of course, that 44-yard touchdown. Passing attack was on it. Luckily so, because it needed to be. And we'll take a look more at the offense. We'll take a look at the run game. And we'll also go to the other side of the ball and look at this future performance by the Gator defense. But before we get there, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers, Mac Jones or Lamar Jackson. It's a show of young guns and the old guard and nothing makes these matchups more than having skin in the game at MyBookie. MyBookie has super contests, survivor pools, and a double deposit bonus that gives you everything you need to secure the bag. Getting started is simple. Sign up today. Use promo code GATERS and you'll double your first deposit instantly. That's promo code GATERS to double your first deposit up to 1000 bucks with my bookie. This isn't your grandfather's bookie. This is my bookie. Put your money where your mouth is and get rewarded for it. Begin your winning season today exclusively at mybookie.ag. You know the goosebumps you get when Florida takes the field? Or when that 63-yard Hail Mary actually works? Or the thrill of a game-winning interception in the end zone? What a rush. You can experience that same rush every day at your home with Shark Coatings. We'll cover your old, ugly concrete with a beautiful industrial concrete coating and a warranty that lasts longer than most careers in professional football. So whether your garage floor is for parking, partying, or working out, Shark Coatings can transform it. And if your pool deck is starting to look like a bulldog, old, cracked, and smells like pee, Shark Coatings can transform that too. Shark Coatings is easy to clean, stain-resistant, and is 100% antibacterial and antimicrobial. We're easy on the eyes and on the maintenance. Gator Nation is worldwide, and Shark Coatings is based right in the heart of it. So whether you live in Brunswick, Georgia, or Live Oak, Florida, down to Ocala, over to New Smyrna Beach, or anywhere in between, contact us for a free estimate today. Learn more at sharkfloorcoatings.com. That's sharkfloorcoatings.com. All right, there we go. And now let's get back to the run game. Let's get back to the offense here. And we better be glad the passing game 
carry the offense. And that lets you know just how much a quarterback can carry a team. And this Florida run attack with the running backs, offensive line was just not there. Not there at all. You know, at, at first, you're trying to um, maybe run up the middle uh, a, a bit too much, but the offensive line getting no push. They were pushed black, back plenty of times as well. That was disrupting runs. Um, and, of course, in pass protection where AR had to evade pressure, uh, I liked where he was climbing up in the pocket and hitting throws, especially the one, the zipperer. I mean, that showed a lot of composure, uh, a lot of confidence in what he was doing. Uh, but didn't get a lot of help, did Anthony Richardson, with the run game. And uh, it was mostly there on the offensive line. You know, I had to go back and rewatch and maybe see how much wide zone there was. It didn't look like there was much in the initial watch as there has been. But, you know, disappointing performance there. Too many times, Austin Barber on the ground, saw Kingsley Aguaken in the back, you know, just getting pushed into the backfield, disrupting plays. And Tennessee, I'll give some credit to Tennessee, too. Uh, we were, of course, questioning just how good that defense was and, and stopping the run. And besides one big run versus Pitt, I did a pretty good job limiting them as well. But given what we have seen from Florida in the run attack, okay, well, this is going to be a bit different. Well, Tennessee was up to the challenge. I know there's a lot of thoughts on who's playing and the running back rotation. It didn't matter. It, it really didn't. And Aquan Wright was in there a bit, and I think you can kind of see why. Now, he had better stats than Montreal Johnson. I'm not even going stat-wise here. I think you, you could see why in that environment, and it was loud, he was helping Anthony Richardson make the checks, communicate with the offensive line, making sure everybody was on the same page. I think that's one reason we saw Naquan Wright in the, in the game. Uh, a bit. It's helping Anthony Richardson in that situation with the communication up front, making the checks, making the calls, getting the team in the right play. I could be reaching there, but that's what we saw. I didn't see that from a, a lot of the other backs when they were on the field. And Trevor Etienne did some nice things, of course. Still had led the team in carries. Had some nice runs. Nequan Wright had some nice runs. Montreal Johnson had the touchdown, but... As I see, you know, go back and looking at the stats there, there were just not any long runs that we had become accustomed to seeing the last few weeks. No explosive runs whatsoever. Tennessee did a good job of keeping the run game in check. And if you would have told me that before the game, I said, well, wouldn't have liked Florida's chances. But Anthony Richardson delivers, keeps the Florida offense going. And what you hope this is for the offense now is a building block, at least for Anthony Richardson, his confidence, and to keep going. Now, I don't know how much we see him run the ball coming up this season uh, or these, these next couple of games. You got Eastern Washington. You hope you don't even really need to. You hope the run game does take over. Uh, if Anthony Richardson needs to run, run and scramble for a first down, okay. Design runs, you don't need to be seeing it a lot versus Eastern Washington. Now, Missouri, of course, a step up in competition in the SEC. You need to get your first SEC victory. You know, but I do think you you have a week coming up here versus Eastern Washington where you don't need to see Anthony Richardson run the ball. Allow him the ground game. Let him get some confidence in some passes, but hopefully in the second half, he's not even really playing. Does he need the reps? Eh, maybe. But at this time, you know, it would, and we saw it. Um, there was reports that he hurt, that he hurt his shoulder uh, in the game versus Tennessee. If there's any lingering effect there, you know, probably while in the game, the adrenaline's going Probably not an injury. I mean, it didn't affect him. We saw him make some nice throws after that report came out in the game. 
we'll see where he's at after this game, and you maybe you limit him somewhat there as well. But after this past game versus Tennessee, maybe the way we thought about the passing game, needing to get into a groove, finding themselves, maybe the run game needs to go find themselves versus Eastern Washington again. And in the game, they really should just go completely run over Eastern Washington. Now we say that, and USF is a bad team too, and Florida should have done that a couple weeks, or you know, last week. We'll also keep an eye on that hurricane out there and see if that affects it. But looking ahead, you know, that's just if everything stays normal, you know, how do you use Anthony Richardson moving forward and his legs? Of course, it makes a difference. We know it makes a difference. Design runs, scrambles. But keeping with some themes on the offense, just kind of overall aggressive on fourth down and needed so much because the lack of third down conversions, struggling there, and we knew the game plan. The game plan was going to be to try and keep that, that Tennessee offense on the sideline. And it was working. It was working for the most part. I thought the run game would be more involved than that, but no, it was, it was Anthony Richardson making plays with his legs, hitting the throws he needed to, Converting third downs at times, mostly fourth down at times. And throw the stat up there again, though, you know, five of six for the Gators. Five of six on fourth down after being seven of 15 on third down. Billy Napier with the aggressive mindset knew he needed to keep that Tennessee offense on the sideline. I don't know if he expected to see that defensive performance and how just more, even more instrumental that that would be. But try to keep his defense as fresh as possible didn't really matter. But being aggressive was needed because of a failing defense. It was going to be needed anyway. Being aggressive, keeping that Tennessee offense on the sideline, just pure game reasons but was needed even more. You had to ramp that up even more because of the failing defense. And look, if it's going to be bad on that side of the ball, they have to make the plays that are there. And, of course, stop the bust. You do those two. I mean, and the bust, that was, I mean, Tennessee offense put some stress on you. I'm not going to lie. We knew that coming in. Florida had done a good job with the, the bust plays so far in the first three games of the season. You didn't see the wide-open receivers where nobody's around them. The receivers are on an island all by themselves. We didn't see that in the first three games. New Kentucky hits a deep pass down the field, but the coverage was there. You didn't see the, the coverage bust. Now, Tennessee's a whole lot different offense. You won't see an offense like that mostly coming up this season. They try and confuse you, but it was the wasn't even really confusion. It was simple motions out there. There's nobody on defense was ready for it. No, I won't say nobody. Mainly trading. But if you can make the plays that are that are there and stop these busts, that'd go a long way in this defense. But trading at this point, he should know better. And I hate starting the defense out by just pointing out at one player. But what are, what are we doing here? He's a liability out there. He's been a liability out there all season. But with this game, it was just put on display. He should know better. There's no excuse for it. It's inexplicable to see that type of play 
from that experience of a player, I, I know it's a new defense and everybody's in a new defense, but now this, is not, this is not new. It dates back. Rashad Torrance led the team in tackles. First of all, it's not good when your safety leads the team in tackles. Unless you have an in-the-box safety a lot, and he's basically another linebacker. But that's not what Rashad Torrance is. He's leading the team in tackles because he's having to make tackles down the field. Now, here's the 13 tackles for Rashad Torrance. Here's the yardage gain on each of his 13 tackles. 21 yards. 9 yards, 16 yards, 10, 70, 1, 19, 16, 16, 45, 6, 8, 11. He's leading the team in tackles, and he's making tackles way down the field. I mean, a 21-yard gain, 16, 70, 19, 16, 16, 45. He's leading the team in tackles, and he's making tackles 50 yards down the field. And that's not his fault. Could he play better at times? Yeah, he could. There are times he's, you know, at fault for a play as well. But he's having to make up for other guys not doing their job and mainly trading. It's, it's inexplicable right now to be botching covers like this. And we can extend it. You know, there's linebackers not covering running backs out of the backfield. Tight ends left open on a wheel route where Rashad Torrance is making the tackle. He's having to make up for other people not doing their job. Rashad Torrance should not be the leading tackler for this Gator team. Listen, he is not that type of safety. He's not Marcel Harris out there. It's not how he's being used. And to be making tackles 21, 70, you know, 20 yards, 45 yards down the field, no. Nah, that, that's not going to get it done. Credit for him to, to be able to do that and you know, save a touchdown and maybe you get lucky and get a stop. But you know, credit to him for chasing down plays. But that's not what he should be doing. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The drive right before halftime, you had them. <laughs> Florida's up 14-10. to 10. Tennessee drive starts at their own one-yard line after a great punt. Starting on their goal line. Florida eventually has third and 10 on the 12-yard line. Napier takes the timeout, 133 left. I have no issue with that timeout. Talked about the aggressive mindset. He wanted to give his offense time to score. Defense has to do their job. It's still early enough in the game, and you had them. I have no issue with that timeout whatsoever. None. Your defense makes a stop. Your offense gets the ball back with plenty of time to – Maybe go up 21 to 10 going into halftime. That's what Billy Napier's thinking was. And it was there. Hooker drops back to pass on that third and 10. Brenton Cox has Hooker. Napier even said it after the game. Had him dead the rights. 
Cox can't bring Hooker down for the sack. Hooker finds his receiver right at the sticks for a first down. Very next play, Tennessee hits a 43-yard pass as Torrance is blitzing. Probably should have played a little bit more conservative there as far as the defense goes. Leaving Jason Marshall on the island, Tennessee wide receiver makes a grab. Tennessee's off to the races. You know, aggressive play call right there in that situation. Florida needed to use more. At that point, needed Tennessee to use more time after they had converted that, that third down. Tennessee goes on to score six plays later, takes a 17-14 lead in the halftime. Then they scored the first drive after halftime. That was a difference in the game. That third and down, that, that third and 10, Britton, Britton Cox has to make that play. He's played better this year. Stats won't show it, but there was plenty of times where he made an impact against, you know, against Tennessee. But overall, I mean, there are, time, there are times you point at stats. And there are times you point at certain plays. When the play is there to be made, you have to make the play. Now, I know Hendon Hooker's an athletic quarterback, and he can make some plays happen with his legs. We saw it over and over again, but it's third and ten. Make a play. Make a play when you need to. Make a play when you're in position. You were in position to stop Tennessee on third and ten and get the ball back right before halftime, knowing they get the ball after halftime. Now, I'll credit Hendon Hooker there a bit, too. He's a good player. He's a really good quarterback. But you have to make that play. And I said, you know, looking at stats, it can be deceiving a bit. But at some point, you're defensive leaders. The best players, or your supposed best players on defense, Brenton Cox, credited with one tackle. Jervon Dexter, credited with one tackle. Cox did pressure, but had issues finishing some plays. Admittedly, I'll need to rewatch more for up front for Dexter. But he's certainly not any kind of difference maker. And he even tweeted today that he needs to be better. Your supposed best defenders on defense cannot have stats like that. Now, I know Dexter's been double, even triple teams at times. He was in this game as well, I know. Like I said, I want to go back and watch, but, I mean, come on, you're your best player. I mean, if you're supposed to be this dominant defensive lineman, you don't go into a big game with only one tackle. I'm sorry, you don't. Even if you're double teamed, you've got, I mean, we saw true freshman Chris McClellan come in and make some plays. Defensive line needed to be a force in this game. They just weren't. Couldn't generate enough pressure with just four too many times, Hooker was just able to sit back, find his receiver. There was some early pressure dialed up in the middle, and that affected Hooker a bit, but that, didn't, that, that got stood up later in the game. But your best players are not showing up. And that's a problem. One of your best players did show up. Linebacker Ventrell Miller. Man. I'm glad he's a Gator. Went out there, gave it his all. It was very questionable if he was going to play in this game or not. But goes out there and just puts on a performance. Forced a fumble in Tennessee's opening drive. That was his, <laughs> as long as Ventrell Miller's played, that was his first, first, first fourth fumble of his career. Finished with two quarterback hurries, six tackles, four solo. On top of that, for, on top of that forced fumble. He was just putting it all out there on the line. Coming back from that injury, I was hearing early in the week there was no way he was playing. 
Then as the week game, went, went, week came on, we started hearing Thursday that he's going to give it a go. Now I wanted to state that, give him, you know, for the little good we can pick out of this defense, that was one of them. And I wanted to make sure he gets the credit he deserved for go out there and giving it a go and making some plays. Mario Bernie had a career-high two sacks and forced a fumble. You know, still not consistent, but there's the plays that I'm sure Patrick Tony, Billy Napier, defensive staff are seeing. You're going to get some good, you're going to get some bad with him. Well, that's just what it is. I wish, he, I wish he was a little more consistent in this play, but we know what he is at this point. Scooby Williams came in, struggled as well. And that's not calling him out, but that's just a reminder. It's just not as simple as putting the next guy in and it automatically fixes the defense. There are some young guys emerging, though, and we saw it. We saw it. Kamari Wilson finished career-high five tackles. Chris McClellan set a career-high with four. This one drive, he was just completely dominating out there. Shamar James had his first career sack. Those are guys making their way. They're making their mistakes, too. Of course, I mean, Shamar James was, you know, one of the ones, uh, the, the running back coming out of the backfield just didn't cover him. Rashard Torrance is the one making the play twenty, making the tackle twenty-one or twenty yards down the field. Those will come with fresh mistakes. So, you know, we can. I think we're we're at the point now. It's four games in. And I know this is going to sound like okay, this is kind of what we were discussing with the last defensive coordinator. But we're at the point now where it's just you see the flashes from these young players and you live with the mistakes. You know, Shamar James is mainly playing in relief of Ventro Miller, so you're not taking Ventro Miller off the field a whole lot. They're on the field together at times, too? Yes. But he's the guy, you know, playing that same style. When Chris McClellan comes in, makes some plays, double-teamed, making plays in the backfield, Florida needs more options up front. Hopefully he can go in there and help relieve Dexter, go in there with Dexter. Is Dexter playing more inside than uh, needed? Probably. That's that's part of the issues, I think. But now with trading struggles, do we see Kamari Wilson more? Do we see a Donovan McMillan more? Staff has to figure something out there. You know, at least with Bernie and Cox, you're you know the experienced players that are that are that that have been in the past defense. While it may be bad at times, you're still getting some impact plays there. As we say, Bernie with two career his career high and two sacks, he forced a fumble as well. Like the Utah game, not a bad game, but makes the game winning interception. So you, you can always kind of lean back on that. What what has Trading done? You don't see you don't see the impact plays that are there. He's make that he's able to make up for with his bad play. It's not there. At least with the other guys, you see it. You can see why they're still out there. And we can get into that more just a bit too. But here's your thoughts on defense. Shows you the Tennessee stats earlier. Not pretty. Some busted coverages, busted plays. That we're not there in the first three games of the season. But now it's kind of you know, trading kind of targeted there and giving up some big plays. 
Now, of course, some coaching decisions uh, come into play here and kind of polarizing there. Going one way or the other with that. First drive, not going for a field goal. Kind of does come back to bite you in the end. But we talked about the aggressive mindset there for Billy Napier. You did miss the field goal on the next drive. You know, so the first couple of drives, as I said, you know, the run game wasn't there. It was really stunting Florida to, to go put some points in the, up on the board as they were driving down the field. And how, if the game plays out the same way, not going for the first field goal and then missing the second field goal definitely goes a long way. And I kind of hate doing that because you never know how the game plays out <laughs> if those things are different. But it's worth bringing up. And then the big one. Going for two, down 11. And the analytics absolutely say you do it. You know, there's timing. Eventually, you probably got to go for two anyway. So that's really what it boils down to. But if you look at it, if you convert the two-point conversion, now a late field goal wins it instead of sending it in overtime. And that was the thought. If you get to that point, like where Florida did get, a late field goal wins the game instead of going to overtime. If you don't convert, like what happened, then you have a second chance to get it back on the next touchdown, like Florida scored, and it equals out where a late field goal then does get you to overtime. You don't get either. I mean, like the, the, it's like a 45% chance to get a two-point conversion. So you see why later in the game, why the analytics call to go for it. And if you get one of them, I mean, Florida didn't get either, so it just didn't work out. But if you get either, it sets up for a field goal at the end to either win it or take it to overtime. You don't get either, then you're in the situation Florida was in. Napier was going for the win. Certainly didn't work out, but that's what he was going. He was going for the win. The analytics are for to win the game. Personally, would I have been more conservative? Probably. But he's going by what the analytics say. And if you're more conservative, you make it 38-28, then the next touchdown, an extra point, make it a three-point game at the end. But I understand why you want to go for a win on the road. Or it doesn't really matter. I mean, it makes sense. Especially on the road. when the, And the way your defense was playing. I get why Napier did it. And it's an analytics play going for the win. I'm a big analytics guy, of course. You know, they, they, they go along. You know, sometimes personal decision and emotion can go into it, but follow, follow the analytics there. And if you're trying to win the game, it's the right call. Does game flow play into it a bit? Probably. And the game flow was we can't stop them. So Napier's pulling out all the stops to try and get a victory late in the game. Just don't convert either two-point conversion there. So there you go. Offense, defense, some coaching. I like the aggressiveness. I mean, worked out for the – Billy Napier's aggressiveness is why Florida was in the game. You know, to catch 22, you know, if you don't agree with the, the two-point conversion, okay, I can't make you, but I can tell you what the analytics say. 
And maybe you're chasing points at that time, but at that point in the game, it's to go for two. Offense got the job done, did what they were supposed to do. Kind of the opposite of the Kentucky game, huh? Offense did their job, played good enough to win the game, defense lets down. Kentucky game, offense doesn't do their job. Defense played good enough to win the game. About the only time this season, though. A lot of work on that side of the ball. And a uh, good buddy on Chandler from Gators Breakdown Plus, he, did, he pointed out something good. I just wanted to kind of bring it up. If the Kentucky and USF games weren't so awful, I think the fan base would feel different. Gifting Kentucky a win and the horrible performance, performance versus USF makes people view the two and two different. And that'll kick us off. I did ask Gators Breakdown Plus members for their thoughts. Day after thoughts on the loss to Tennessee, Michael Lee says game could have been easily won with a halfway decent defensive showing. Just a few stops. Maybe just one stop. <laughs> when you go back and look at it, maybe one be one the, the stop right before halftime. I will say, you know, it's always and I hate going back and saying that because you just never know how the rest of the game plays out. But if Florida gets that start right before halftime, chances are the game you're in a much better position to, to win the game. Now, I'm not breaking any news. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. That's not really common sense there. But if you want to start looking at just how close, because I mean, there were at times where it just felt like it was going to kind of get away from Florida. And it really, really started there because you knew. Defense was struggling. Tennessee was going to come out after halftime and go for the kill. They they were close. Credit for the team to fighting back late in the game. But, yeah, a halfway decent showing you, th- you think wins the game. But even just maybe one more stop, not one out before halftime. That's the one I'll always go back to just because of starting on the one-yard line, eventually make it third and ten. Oh, so close to getting the sack. And Henry Hooker makes a play. Armand Jones, the offense did enough to win a close game. Defense didn't do their part, and it centered around the safeties, Bernie, and Big Dex. Ryan, S, pretty good considering it was a loss. We saw huge improvements in AR's play, so very encouraging. Still worried about the inconsistency week to week, but it was awesome to see him play like that. We had a couple of questionable decisions by Napier, but I'll take it because I loved his aggression with the play calling. Defense is bad. Trading needs to be benched. We will have to score a lot of points to win because we can't trust the defense to get a stop. We need a huge talent upgrade on that side. Recruit, recruit, recruit. Well said. Another Ryan says, good to see AR get out of his head finally. Time for a youth movement on defense and new special team strategy, a.k.a. fair catch kickoffs. Yeah, that, uh, I don't get it. <laughs> Why are there so many penalties on kickoffs? It's a you know, really hard struggle 
there. I just, um, I, don't, I don't get that. I, I just, why does it keep happening? Put your offense in bad spots. And it's been four games now, and we've seen that way too many times. Chach says, I like what I've seen. I like what I saw from the offense. Defense is atrocious, but I wasn't really expecting much this year. Full-scale rebuild that was disguised against Utah. Gatorade 13, heck of a game. Thought we grew up in the second half when we could have easily laid down. This offense could be lethal next year once we get some speedsters matched up with Ant, assuming he's coming back. Scheme on defense is good to me. Talent can't match it, though. Offensive line wasn't as bad as it looked. Tennessee loaded the box, brought pressure every single play. That's why we were able to pick apart their back end. Team showed guts yesterday. I'm happy to see that finally emerge. Rooster says, I love the aggressiveness Napier showed throughout the game. I think we should have kicked the first drive, went for it on the second drive. Overall, though, love the game plan on offense. Anthony looked really good with his decision-making. Got to hold the ball better. But overall, great game from him. Defense has to make personnel changes. Is It looks like I'm still watching a Grantham team. A couple more here. UF82. Staff is learning exactly how to use Richardson. Played to his strengths in the passing game. Get trading off the field. Multiple blatant blown assignments from him that cost us the game. Florida wins yesterday if he's not out there, and I would die on that hill. Maybe. Uh, I go back and forth on that one, too. Um, I, 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 there are times when, okay, I, I think Tennessee probably just finds another way to score. Uh, it wasn't every score on trading. Uh, so, granted, it didn't help. And could you have caused another fumble or something like that? Possibly. You know, you, you, of course, you could give yourself a chance. Busted plays, yeah, they just, they just, they can't, they, they just can't happen. You at least got to make them earn it in some form or fashion. Offensive line did not weather one-on-ones in the run game. Very disappointed how they played out there. Even when Tennessee was having to account for the pass game, not able to run the ball with the running backs. McClellan is going to play more and more. Very disruptive in the pass rush up the middle. At times, Tennessee had to double-team him. Prime example, while Florida will sign seven DBs and seven defensive linemen, a complete overhaul. Yeah, we can definitely see that behind the scenes. We know, uh, we can see where the issues are. Staff certainly sees it. You see with the way this class is being built. Overhaul in play. Excited for the future, says Southern Gator. But disappointed in the loss, especially after watching AR give a game-winning performance. It's amazing that most of our talent is on the defensive side of the ball, but it's our worst part of the team. Senior leadership on that side is terrible except for Ventrell. Oh, man. Yeah. So, of course, big picture once again, kind of the in this episode. Gators 2-2, two and two, played three ranked opponents so far. Three really good-to-good good teams. Schedule now lets up. Uh, for this offense, this Tennessee game needs to be a building block. You need to grow from it. Need to build on it. We've seen some good from the run game this year, not necessarily this one. We saw Anthony Richardson play two good games so far this year on the heels of this one where it was just so much in question how much he was going to improve. Could he improve? Could he play well? He did. 
Now we need to we need to see this and how, and how they use him going forward. You know, I don't think he need to run. Of course, it makes him more comfortable. It makes him more of a threat. Do you have to do it through an Easter Washington? You hope not. You hope you hope you go out there and see the type of throws he was making against Tennessee without having to use his legs as much. But if that gets him comfortable, then you got to go for it. Well, the defense, of course. Uh, Use this game as a learning experience and try and grow. That's just where this team is at now. Um, you know, fortunately, the Gators aren't playing another offense like this. But so many communication issues, it doesn't matter who you're playing. That, that's inexcusable. Busted coverages still linger on this defense, of course. And just to be honest, you know, just, there, there aren't many standout great players on that side of the ball. I thought the scheme change would just go a long way. Uh, but the last staff left these players. They recruited, and I think what you're seeing is a complete rebuild on that side of the ball. And it's not conducive to stopping the better offenses Florida will face. They are who they are. I'm still a believer in Patrick Tony. way too early to say that he's not the guy based on who what he's got to work with. Maybe my fate's too much there. But I can't sit here for years and pound on Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham's recruiting and then expect Patrick Tony to be an immediate fix on that side of the ball. I did expect improvement. We're not really getting that right now. And I'm not saying Patrick Tony's perfect. I think there are some personnel decisions that definitely have to be made right now. But overall, I think he's handcuffed a bit with the experienced players. And it does seem like it's the experienced players and the young players. Mostly the freshmen. The players they recruited. Because it's weird. There's not many in-between players that we hear from. And it's not that extreme, but it, it does really feel like experience versus youth movement. And the experience is not, especially trading's part, not bringing you a whole lot. I don't know what you'd be losing by not having him on the field. True freshmen can go out, can go out there and bust coverages. And for the experience, there's still a role out there for most that fit those categories. But maybe we start to see a tilt. Maybe we start seeing some of the young guys play more. As I said, Amari Bernie still finds a way to make some plays, even though he struggles. There's still going to be a role for him. There's still a, definitely a role for a Brenton Cox. Of Rashad Torrance. But we're starting to see enough from these young guys to where if you're not doing your job as an experienced player, get off the field. Get replaced. And that's going to be on these coaches to, to identify that as well. And so what from this Tennessee game? Because, I mean, you, you got two games down to maybe figure this out. Of what these young guys do well and maybe put them... In, in, in better position. But there's a few guys that can go out there and bust coverages. And maybe that experience, because I mean, trading's going after this year. There's not a lot that he, there's not a lot of value that he brings anymore. He's not, there's, no, there's nothing about learning this defense now that's going to make a big difference for, 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 for trading out there. There's just not. So if he's going to be that much of a liability, 
I'd rather put the liability of a freshman or a young player out there. They're going to make mistakes, okay. But at least them learning from it can go a long way in the years to come. I think we all know we, we, we probably start right there. But all right, there we go. Plenty more coming up this week on Gators Breakdown. Hopefully so. Anyway, that hurricane coming out there, who knows? Uh, of course, I work in the news industry, so and in the state of Florida, when a hurricane comes in the vicinity, um, I have no idea <laughs> what my schedule will hold uh, there. So plan on, of course, a normal week in Eastern Washington, of course, not a game to get really excited about. So, you know, we'll see what the coverage looks like this week. Of course, Will Miles and I will be back on Monday for our normal spiel. But we'll see what uh, later in the week holds, uh, given the opponent and also given uh, the hurricane that'll be floating out there in the Gulf and, and coming up coming up the state of Florida. So keep everybody, if you're in the state of Florida, keep an eye on it. Stay safe. Go get prepared. And then uh, I'll keep you guys updated. Social media, Gators Breakdown Plus, all that stuff there. So that'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.